After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The state of the fan address going solo. Top Gun Maverick style. I am Nick Villano, editor-in-chief of the Pucks and Pitchforks blog. Ladies and gentlemen, I am very, very excited about our show tonight. We have the one, the only man between the benches for your devils and for the national spotlight as well. Bryce Salvador, El Capitan is here. Bryce, he's coming right off the top, coming in hot. How you doing, Bryce? Welcome back. Yes. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a very long time and uh, I'm just so excited to, to be on and talk Devils. I've been a little bit in hibernation. Uh, I kind of go dark in the off season. I'm not really too engaged in social media, so I like to kind of let everything materialize. And uh, and wow, did we have something bloom here? So it's uh, I'm looking forward to to talking. So thanks for having me again, Nick. No problem. But we have to ask: Are you a a Bob McKenzie margarita? guy are you a pierre lebron craft beer guy like what is your drink of choice when the when the off season's over we never got the picture from you so what what are you <laughs> what are you drinking at the end of the season oh i'm i'm a margarita type of guy if, if anything let's go <laughs> well look i'll i'll just be honest the reason why i stopped you know uh drinking the beers is just i just started feeling awful and it turned out i have yeah. a little bit of a intolerance so i had to mm go uh the white claw and and that route and the volley yeah. and so i'm actually a tequila drinker so volley is my choice uh yeah hey, listen i'm i'm a big margarita guy i'm a big tequila guy um but we didn't bring you on to be our alcohol <laughs> aficionado that'll be a different podcast but we have it has been a while since we've had you on Bryce, because it was pretty miserable for a long time there uh what were we going to talk about? Hey, let's talk about this injury and let's talk about that injury. And let's talk about what are the aspects of this goalie and that goalie who's third string in the ECHL and is now playing in the NHL. You know, it was, it was a real hard season to cover and to talk about. But we talked to you this offseason. We kept updating and we we're like, you know what? Like so much has happened in the past month. We got to get you on. We got to get your thoughts. We need to give you as much time as possible because – it's just been a whirlwind. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. And we even had news this week. A new AHL coach, former uh, assistant with the Toronto Maple Leafs, are upgrading across the board. So that's where I want to start. You're, you're behind, between the benches. You spend a ton of time next to the coaches. Let's start with the coaching staff. How important were the changes made on the coaching staff? Andrew Brunette, Sergey Breland, um, 
the guy from the Golden Knights name is is escaping me right Ryan now. McGill. But they, they yeah, Ryan but, yeah. Um, they they made a bunch of changes behind the bench to to assist Lindy Ruff. How important is that to this team? Well, it, it's very important, I think, just from the perspective that the players are seeing that Tom Fitzgerald really cares and he's passionate and he wants to make every change possible if it's going to help benefit the organization and the players. And 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 we can say, hey, did, you know, was Ricky was Ricky, but did he do a good job? Um, that being Mark, you know, um, Nazardine, you know, there's some debate, you know, I, I, I watch some of the fans talk about him, but the, the reality of it is, is when I tell everyone coaches have a shelf life, the, the message inside that locker room at one point in time, it just gets old and it doesn't matter who that coach is. Um, and there needs to be change. And, and I, and I don't think that necessarily, um, Mark Recchi and Nazardine did a, a bad job. It's just they weren't getting the results and something needed to happen just from the optics as well. And, 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 and I know a lot of people say, well, you know, why was Lindy Ruff, you know, maintained? And, and quite frankly, I think he, he's done a great job because he's in a very difficult position, if you really think about it, where you have a young team that isn't expected to win when he came on anytime soon. And, and so he was coming into really this learning to win phase. And if you didn't have a, a, a coach with that type of pedigree and, and that confidence in himself, right, that he could, you know, withstand the ups and downs that he was going to, that he knew coming into this position, this role that he was going to have to endure, I, I, I just think it could have been even worse and, and, and potentially disastrous for a younger coach to come in. And then you also have, different types of coaches too that maybe are in uh, their winning phase. And and that might be, you know, like say they've been in the league for six, seven years and they are trying to win. Like Peter Laviolette, I know that name was circulating. Like he's the type of guy that doesn't want to come to a team that's still in that development phase. And so, um, and, and so, so what we've seen now is Andrew Burnett, awesome hire for the, for this organization. He's named the associate coach. And so, that leads to some speculation that, you know, that he could be the replacement for Lindy Ruff uh, when that potentially happens. Not saying that Lindy Ruff is, is going anywhere. And, and even if the team, uh, you know, I've heard some people say, well, if the team gets off to a rough start, you know, Lindy's going to be the first to go. Well, I, I don't necessarily see that either. I, I think you have Andrew Burnett, who uh, had uh, the fortunate time to talk with him during the playoffs. And you could just see that he's still young. He's still learning the game. He wants to be mentored. He was under Joel Quinville. And I would assume that he saw this as a great opportunity to learn under a guy like Lindy Ruff and, and try to maximize that time. And, and, um, and so that if he does get the opportunity to eventually be the head coach of the New Jersey Devils or elsewhere again, you know, he's, I think, 48, 49 right now. You know, maybe he's 50, 51 when that happens. He's just going to be that much more experienced. And, um, and then also, I, you know, he was a teammate of Fitzy in Nashville. So I just think that there's a lot of reasons why this happened. And, and then, you know, can't forget to mention, like, he took over for Joe Quinville and did a f fabulous job, quite frankly, a lot of people say, hey, that team was stacked and, um, and you know, it would have been easy for anybody to walk into that. I don't think so. There was a lot of pressure on that team um, and he handled it well in the playoffs. 
you know, you go from one of the best power plays in the National Hockey League to like 0-20, I think, at one time. I have to go back yeah. and look. And I remember talking to him and just the frustration and, and having to understand, like, how to how to manage that. And, and he pulled through that round against Washington. So um, so I definitely like that higher. And then you talked about, you know, Ryan McGill. You know, here's a guy that I believe is a little bit – I think he's in his 50s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, spent a lot of time in, in the – Canadian junior system, so the WHL, the OHL had some success up there, and so he was in the Vegas system for five years and was in the playoffs. And I think on the back end, he's going to do a fabulous job. And, and you know, and when you look at guys like to jump back to Elaine Nazardine and Mark Recchi, they they found jobs, right? So it just shows you that mm-hmm. they're not, you know, that they're they're doing a, they did a good job, and it just was time for them to move on. Yeah. I, and I agree on a lot of that. Um, the one thing I, I'm curious about, Bryce, do you have any experience yep. where this happened, where a head coach got brand new assistants and, and it worked? I've seen it happen plenty of times. I, I, I want, I'm curious if you've ever seen it where that was it. That was the message that needed to get sent. Yeah, well, I think – I'll be honest, like when, when you fire the assistant coaches and you keep the, the head coach where you're in an organization where you haven't had success and and even Lenny Ruff's potential future is in jeopardy, you know, what assistant coaches want to come to this situation, right? You don't know if Lenny Ruff's going to be around in a year uh, or two. And so to your point, it, it was interesting. And I was really curious to see what Tom Fitzgerald was going to do. And, and so I... Yes, I would say that's a risky situation um, because if you bring in assistant coaches that are not truly aligned with the head coach and are just kind of gunning for his job, um, you know, maybe there's some undermining. And I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen by any means, because if you really look at, you know, the connections, you know, Andrew Burnett, like I said, he was a teammate of Fitzy Nashville. So there's a lot of history there. Um, and then you bring in Sergey Breland. Like this guy is a lifer next to Ken Danico in terms of bleeding devils. You bring him in, right? You know that there's continuity there. Um, Ryan McGill, uh, McGill, I believe he had a connection with, I was looking up with uh, Kevin Deneen. Um, I believe they were teammates somewhere uh, in the NHL. So uh, maybe it was Philly, if I'm sorry. I'm just kind of, you know, catching back <laughs> up fine. on everything. Um, and so you look at some of these, you look at all these connections is where I immediately went to, to see, okay, well, how, what's the continuity here? Is there going to be camaraderie amongst these guys? And I definitely think there is going to because of all that. Um, you know, and then if you look at Chris Taylor, he played for Lindy Ruff. So you kind of have a lot of these coaches in here. Yes, uh, they're all coming in new. Um, but I think Fitzy was very strategic and very smart about who he was bringing in. And if you really look at Andrew Burnett and Ryan McGill, if you look at those two guys, you know, they're looking to grow their careers and, and, and study under somebody. So they're going to be sponges here. Um, and, and so I think it's just going to be a really good combination. Yeah. Now, whether or not to answer your question, if it's going to work, um, uh, you know, I'll answer it this way. Nick, coaches are absolutely important for sure. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the players have to execute. Um, there's no secret for check. There's no secret defensive zone system. There's no secret power play uh, that you're going to uh, 
setup that you're going to do that nobody's seen in the National Hockey League. There's no special penalty kill, you know, that you're going to do. Is it a box? Is it a diamond? You're not fooling anybody in the National Hockey League, right? You may change or tweak a couple things that might catch a team off guard a, a few times, but the next time they come around or the next team that you play in a week, like they've scouted you, they've broken down the tape, they know exactly what you're doing. So what at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is are the coaches the right ones for where that team is at in their development cycle? That's how I look at it. And so you look at the players, and I know we're going to get into this in more detail, but I just kind of want to you know, wrap up this coaching uh, conversation here is that they there's with Andrew Burnett and Ryan McGill, you kind of have a succession plan potentially for Lindy Ruff should that come to an end in, in the future. Now, with a younger group of players, right, that are finally – maturing so you look at jack hughes you look at nico heischer you look at jesper bratt those guys now have enough reps and repetition in the national hockey league where stuff starts to become automatic and that's really what you need to have happen we can say jack hughes is a great playmaker he's you know his puck possession his zone entries you know jesper bratt skates like the wind and he's elusive and he's he's got eyes in the back of his head and we can go all and down the list but at the end of the day until you've got hundreds and hundreds of reps against NHL players and having those failures and coming through and then having the coaches come in and say, hey, you know, trying to make sure that you don't lose players while they're trying to learn how to survive in the National Hockey League. Um, that's what's critical. And so I believe that we now have coaches that are fresh right with the team that you have players now that are ready to take the next step and execute consistently because they've seen right a lot of of the what they're going to be what's going to be thrown at them you got to remember two years ago they only saw seven teams right last year you know you had guys you know seeing teams around the national hockey league and so a little bit of what you even had last season you could got to take it with a grain of salt because these guys were finally seeing other teams again um so i would just kind of sum it all up like that for you all oh, right you're back okay well, we're I went on gonna... a tangent, so I don't no, know where we, don't... we left off. I don't know what happened. Who knows? It's it's the internet is broken today. <laughs> where did where did we leave off? What was the last thing uh, you heard? The last thing I I mean, you were finishing up. You were talking about the the um how Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes and everybody and then all the development that they were showing. Yeah, yeah, and, and just and just and you know I don't know if you heard this part. But I was just saying like, and so there's no secrets out there, right? The coaching mm -hmm. staffs, they're all going to have certain setups and the power play, the penalty kill. Um, and it really comes down to, are the players ready to execute, right? Have, do they have enough experience? Have they seen the defenders enough to get the instinctual reads that are going to be required to make the plays in that split second? And so you need guys that have played with each other for multiple years, who've been on the power play together for multiple reps, Right, that it just becomes instinctual in the back of your head. You got no look passes because Jesper Bratt is going to be in his route. You know that you've thrown the puck there. He's there now. And when you mm -hmm. and when Jack Hughes is thinking at a high level, is everybody else on the ice reading finally at Jack Hughes's pace? And so once you have that, then you're right. Then you can say the coaches become more important because then they can finesse and fine tune things. But I, that's where we're at now, where I think we're finally can be optimistic that a lot of the Devils players have, are at the point where they've had reps now 
um, to execute these systems. So you mentioned Jesper Bratt. Yep. That's where I'm going to go next because, my goodness, the offseason that was with Jesper Bratt getting literally to the minute to his arbitration hearing and then coming down to a one-year deal. First of all, if you're either side, are you happy with a one-year deal? Yes, uh, because it was pretty contentious if you really look at it. Um Look, Jesper Bratt is a really unique case. He's a special player, seventh round. Like for him to materialize into what he has um, is against the norm, right? It's so it, there's a lot of uncertainty there, um, you know, especially from the devil's side. And 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 yes, you could say he's a point, you know, per game player, and hopefully he does that again. Um, and, and he did a phenomenal job, even when you had Jack Hughes out of the lineup, he was showing up, he was producing. Um, and so, um, and, and so for, for Jesper Bratt to come in at the number they did, I was surprised, uh, at arbitration. Um, I know a lot of people <laughs> that I talked to were surprised that he came in that low. Um, and I know a lot of people thought that maybe the devil's lowballed, uh, the Bratt camp. And, and I just think that. You know, when you go into those situations, you know, you're going to throw a low number in and you're expecting the player side to throw a very high number and you hopefully kind of meet in the middle. Um, and so the fact that the, the Brat camp came in, we could argue, I think it was low, um, mm-hmm. is encouraging that there could be hope down the road versus them going to arbitration and it getting nasty. Um, then there would be really no hope and we're all like on pins and needles this season. Not saying that we're not going to be to a certain point. Um, and, you know, when I made the, the one tweet I think I had all summer, I just kind of said, you know, it's really a show me season for, for Jesper Brad. And, and some people may say, well, he's already proven himself. Yes, if if he's really only asking for $6 million, right, on average, wait, six five. okay, then, then maybe we don't have to have this conversation. But I don't know and I never asked, but I'm assuming he's asking for nine, nine and a half right and, why not and for future right why not exactly right maybe he wants Panarin money like we really don't know what he asked for so I'm going on the assumption that he asked for nine ten million dollars or whatever that's what he thinks his ceiling is I could be completely off by a few million but I'm gonna say hey if you're gonna put a point point and a half or point two next season you know Panarin type of numbers well you're gonna ask for a lot of money and so yeah. that's why I say it's a show me season for him um, and then from the devil's perspective, it's, uh, you know, before they make it another commitment in a player like this, who's probably asking more than your franchise player, Jack Hughes, like you got to get this right. You, you absolutely can't miss on this. And, uh, um, and so it's going to be probably one of the top storylines all season. I'm excited for this one. Um, because if he comes out and just has a phenomenal start, everyone's going to be, you know, counting down the days to January 1st and seeing what Tom Fitzgerald's going to do, if he's extending them right away or they're going to let this play out. Um, but, but, but if he, if Jesper Bratt has a really strong season, I, I just personally hope they get something figured out. So we're not going to another potential arbitration mm-hmm. next summer. Cause if that's the case, you know, then that's just not good. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Bryce. You were you were in a simple position. You weren't a first-round pick. You were somebody who beat the odds to have the career that you did. 
Did you ever encounter this and did this ever get brought up in contract negotiations that you were a lower round pick and you, you know, is that something you were like, maybe they didn't say it to your face, but do you ever feel like maybe you weren't like the darling of the ball from day one? Did you ever feel that in negotiations? Do you think maybe that's something that's coming up in Brat's negotiations? Or do you think that's something that once you prove them wrong, it's behind you? Um, I, I think once you prove it, it's behind them. But I think also nowadays there's so much analytics. Like, like, like mm-hmm. you know, every team has detailed stats about everything. Um, you know, the closest I kind of came to any type of, you know, arbitration and, and stuff like that or free agency was my, you know, my last year with the Blues and they ultimately decided mm-hmm. to trade me. Um, and, and look, they definitely, you know, they come in and come, come in and say, hey, you know, here, you know, we signed you, you know, uh, you know, as a free agent, Sal, uh, you know, come take a kind of uh, a, a hometown discount. Um, they don't say in those exact words, but, you know, you definitely feel loyal to the organization that gave you uh, your chance. But on the other hand, uh, you're human, right? You're going to compare yourself to everybody else, um, what everybody else is making. And at that time, there was a guy, remember the name Jay McKee, and this guy was, you know, mm-hmm. he made a, he, he got a huge contract because he was, you know, the blot shocking leader defenseman in the National <laughs> Hockey League there. And there was a period where every defenseman was just blocking your, every shot that was thrown their way, trying to stack their pat, uh, their stats there. Um, and, and so that's just what happens. You're going to compare yourself to others. Um, and, but what I would say where I see a lot of players, at least from the players' perspective, uh, run into problems, Nick, is where um, they, they overvalue themselves. And they get themselves into a contract um, that they can't live up to, and so and so you, that has to be guarded against. That's where the agent really needs to come in. Like you have to have a true understanding of the of your value, whatever that is, whether it's a million, ten, what, you know, I don't care what that value is, but that player better know what it is because if you're underperforming, you're never going to live it down. You, you <laughs> I've never seen a player who's underpaid ever be hated by the fans. Um, in terms of how they're producing and how they're playing. Um, And and so not saying that you don't go for your max amount of value, but just make sure you're you're realistic and your ego isn't getting ahead of yourself. So you talked about being underpaid, overpaid. So now I have to bring up two players that were very contentious with the Devils fan base. Uh, The first being Pavel Zaka. He was shipped off to Boston for Eric Halla. Halla's an interesting player. I wrote about Halla yesterday. I honestly completely forgot he scored 29 goals with the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> that that season yeah. completely never happened in my head. Um, but he's a, a 30 to 40 point guy, which you can argue is what Pavel Zaka is just seven years younger. What were your thoughts after they made that trade? Is it just a we can't do this again with this guy kind of a trade, or maybe it's a, we can't afford what this guy is asking for. What, what were your thoughts after that trade went down? Um, and this isn't to, you know, be a, you know, a Monday night quarterback or a Monday quarterback, but I look at the situation and, and you're starting to see this, actually this trend, um, I think become more uh, prevalent in the national hockey league where look, if you've made a draft pick, you're not just forcing this player to, to try to live up to the expectations of where you drafted him, right? And so, um, and, and I think maybe this is a year a little too late 
Pavel Zaka was unfortunately drafted in a position that he, we can talk about salary. Maybe we can tie this in similarities where he couldn't live up to that number seven pick, right? Yeah, there's players drafted, you know, after him that everyone talks about. And, and, and so I always, you know, not to go too philosophical with the mindset, but as, a, as an athlete, like as soon as you feel that, you know, you're not performing or you're being compared to other players, you know, either you have the fortitude to survive that or, or that's always going to haunt you. And unfortunately, I just think that, you know, Pavel Zaka was drafted in a position, whether it was, whether it was the right position or not, we can all debate that. But mm-hmm. clearly, I would take the position that Pavel Zaka couldn't live up to that draft position because we've seen the flashes. We've seen he's got the tools, right? When he's on his game, you're like blown away. Like, wow, like this is why he got drafted so early. Um, and, and, and so you get caught up in that and you want it to happen. Um, and, and look, we all have, if you're, if you're an organization that drafted a player, the last thing you want to do is trade somebody away um, that then goes and lights it up somewhere else. So you're, yeah. you're always trying to guard against that. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if Pavel Zaka goes there and just lights it up, right? Maybe he does, oh. maybe he doesn't. Analytically, maybe kind of shows, you know, maybe he's not going to, depending on, you know, who you talk to. But, but at the end of the day, you know, he's going to go to a new organization where all those expectations of whether or not where he was drafted, nobody cares, right? He's on a one-year deal. Can you go there? Can you play? Can you produce? Now it's on him. Um, it's kind of how I look at it. Um, and, and I just kind of think that whether it's one year, two years, three years, it was just was no longer going to work for Pavel Zaka here. And I think the organization gave him as many opportunities as possible. He played with every forward, up and down the lineup, center, wing. Um, and this is just, it wasn't going to work. So, you know, as a former player, I wish him the best. I hope he finds it um, because that's, that's just tough to, to live with if you don't meet the expectations that you should have. Um, so I never want him to always have that. Now, on the flip side, subconsciously, like you just have Pavel Zaka not in your mind, right? So from a fan base, you know, and this is one thing I tell people too is, you know, subconsciously we, we, we build opinions around everything, right? That's just what we do. We're humans. We love to have an opinion. Um, and, but when it really gets to the point where it's no longer productive and, and you're always, you know, it doesn't matter if the player does something good, you're always seeing, you know, something negative, you got to move on. You, you got to move on. And I think, especially when the, the players are, you know, you know, you know, five, six, seven years, like it's just kind of time to move on. Um, I know that's a long winded answer um, to that, but you know, it's a, it's an interesting situation, you know, for, for Pavel Zaka, you know, I wish him all the well, uh, you know, he was great to me, you know, every time um, that I ran into him, interviewed him, you know, he, um, you know, it was just really tough, but you can see that it was weighing on him um, that, you know, he wasn't able to live up to now on the flip side. Now, if we just get down to brass tactics, tactics and we talk about the devils and you bring in Eric Holler, like I, I, I love that player, right? He's just, he's a gamer. You know what you're getting. He's coming. Uh, he's been in a locker room and we can talk about this, um, you know, just on the moves that Fitzy's made in general, just this one con, uh, this one point is you're bringing in guys with Andre Pallad. Um, you know, and then Eric Halla, right? Uh, Brandon Smith, like these guys were in locker rooms 
with true established cultures like Carolina, like you hear everybody talk, there's no better locker room culture than there, yeah. right? Tampa Bay, that's the winningest culture currently right now. Uh, you know, Colorado looking like they're going to take that over. And then Boston, you're learning from guys like Bergeron, like for, you know, uh, guys like him alone, uh, Marshman, like yeah, Marshand, like you can look at these guys too as veteran leaders that have won, um, that these guys are going to bring this into the devil's locker room. And so that's just an intangible, an X factor that a guy like Nico Heischer, it will be invaluable for him, mm-hmm. right? For him to kind of see how these guys conduct themselves. And, and I think that these guys are also coming in are going to be like, hey, we can help this team take the next step. Um, so I look at Eric Hall as a guy that's going to come in. He'll be versatile. He's going to say, you know what, wherever you want to use me. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to play. I'm going to play, you know, like my life depends on it because it does. He's got this last year of his contract. So, you know, you're going to yeah. get the best out of him. Um, and, and so, so those just one of those um, intangibles uh, that I'm looking to see how that plays out and helps Nico Heischer, helps Jesper Brad, helps, you know, Jack Hughes and, and the young players. Miles Wood, I know he's on a one-year deal. We can touch on him a little bit later, but you know, a guy like that is going to learn from these guys too. And because Miles Wood to me is is probably the one devil that really bleeds red for this organization. You hear it in all of his interviews. Um, he's a gritty type of player. You know, he wears his emotions on his elbows. Right? He likes to crash in and and be you know rambunctious. And you never know what you're going to get from him. And and I know there's a lot of mixed feelings on him with the Devils fan base, but I could tell you what he brings inside the locker room. You can't just go get that. You can't go and sign a veteran player to come in while the team's in a development phase, right? To come in and try to be a leader and help shape culture when that guy's maybe on a one-year deal. So, so mm-hmm. there's when you're constructing that locker room, you know, you look at all the teams that have won. They've got guys that have been in that organization for multiple years that grew up as young um, and learned from veterans, whether it's Le Cavier for in, in Tampa and those guys were growing up. Um, you know, you had Billy Guerin in Pittsburgh, you know, for the young guys and Mary Lemieux always around. Um, and, and so in some of these other organizations, these younger guys that eventually become those true leaders and captains usually have guys leading the way. Unfortunately, when you look at the transition, you know, after I left and you had Green and you had Zajac, you know, unfortunately, this organization, we were going on the down, right? Mm-hmm. Won all the cups, right? We had our last run in 2012, kind of, you know, you can kind of maybe see where the Islanders are now, the oldest team and nothing, you know, we're going to see how Lou's going to handle what he's got there. But you get to the point where you're going to have to rebuild. And, and unfortunately, there was really no veteran pieces that could, that could stay around for five, six, seven years, you know, that had won in this organization, you know, like, unfortunately, it would have been nice if, you know, a lot of us had won, if we had won that cup in 2012. So when you had, say, Jack, and when you had Green hanging around, they could pass that on. And so now, mm-hmm. by not having that, you have to bring that in. And so, and it costs money. I know a lot of people say, well, to look at the Andre Pilat deal, okay, it's, you know, maybe it's going to look bad at the end of it, potentially. But where are you getting somebody with that type of recent success that is going to come in here 
and for five years and basically pass on everything that he learned in Tampa Bay, right? So mm -hmm. that, quite frankly, to me, is invaluable. Think of Hornquist in, in Florida, right? Like, he's just there playing a role. Like, obviously, Andre Pilat is, a, is, is still in a, we could say, a very productive part of his career. You know, he'll probably play on the top line or top six. We'll see how, uh, you know, Lindy Ruff's going to use Pilat. But you're bringing in a guy here that, you know, was under the Cooper regime and he's going to know uh, what it takes and he can pass that on. So, um, so it's just, I'm really excited for, you know, to see how the locker room grows. We won't see that in necessarily, you know, it's not something you can really peek in the locker room and see, but we should see that on the ice. I mean, it might not be September, it might not be October, but if all these things start coming together, you're going to really start to see this team, you know, gelling and really playing for each other and that passion and energy um, that it takes to be playing meaningful games in March and April. That was the narrative last year. Mm -hmm. You know, there's actually a legitimate chance for that. All right. And, and are we still some pieces away? Absolutely. Now they're going to make the playoffs. I sure hope so. Um, but I sit here saying for me, it's actually attainable. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't want to talk about everything because I know you had some more specific questions, but I'll just leave you with that where, you know, because of what's happening inside the locker room, um, we can start to see action on the ice that's sustainable. Bryce, we're getting a ton of questions just from the fans on Facebook and YouTube. So I want to ask this one. Uh, this is from Christopher in the, in the YouTube live chat. Says, I'd be curious to hear if Bryce's thoughts on what the Devils need to be this year. Do they need to be a bubble team, or is it playoffs or bust? What What are your thoughts? Do you Do you have to make the playoffs if you're Lindy Ruff, you're Tom Fitzgerald? Like, what does this team have to be this year? Well, you're always going to be evaluated on first off. Did you make the playoffs? Mm -hmm. Right, and and that you well, I always came into the season saying the goal was to win the Stanley Cup for for the team goal. Right, so if you didn't do that, it wasn't a successful season. Then the next was, okay, well, how was your playoffs? Well, if you didn't make the playoffs, well, that's another strike, right? Um, yeah. And then for me, really, the third strike was, like, where did we finish? Like, yeah. did we take a stride from the season before? And now, so we could say the bar is somewhat low from where the Devils finished last season. Um, and, and I think, uh, to be fair, with all the pieces – that got added this off season. It isn't make the playoffs or bust. Um, but if the team isn't competitive, I think that could be a bust, right? At least from the perspective of everybody else. Like if, if you're still 67 points or, you know, below 70 in points and, you know, Connor Bedard's name's coming up in the conversations with the devils, that isn't where anybody wants to be. Yes. That'd be a phenomenal, um, thing to yeah. happen for the organization to, you know, to be in a conversation where you might get a generational player or, um, but, but nobody wants, you know, to, to have that. Right. And so for me, the devils need to be competitive, right. They, they better be, um, sniffing for a playoff spot, you know, whether it's within reach, but maybe they got to win the last six, seven, eight games, like just that they're there. Um, and if they're not in that conversation, um, you know, then, then we can all come back and say, okay, well, really like what happened? And, and, and that's a conversation I hope we're not talking about, um, because, 
if you look at all the pieces that Fitzy's done, um, you can see that he put his foot on the gas pedal here, right? Yeah. He's looking at his roster. He's looking at the age. He's saying we're in this phase where we need to start winning. We need to start making the playoffs. I think at most, Nick, we're two seasons. If they don't make the playoffs this year I, I and they're competitive, I think everybody will live with that. We can all talk and say, hey, we, we had a lot of new additions, a lot of things to figure out. But then it's going to be next season, to me, that they're going to have to make the playoffs because now you're starting to flirt with some of the guys' prime years. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the point. I mean, Nico's right there. You know, he, he's getting to the 23, 24, 25 range, and that's where you really need to start making the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I'm right there with you. I, you know, this year can't be a throwaway year, but – at least get a growth year because you still haven't had one of those where you've been in a playoff race. Um, so I'm right there with you, Bryce. Um, I'm curious what, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about the Palat deal. You talked about the importance of having a guy like that on the team, um, but you gave him, you know, five years, you gave him 6 million per, uh, you know, and you said it might be, it might hurt at the end, but you think from what it sounds like, you think it was worth it. Oh, absolutely. Like, because you can't, you know, I'll just go back to it, not to be redundant. You can't put a price tag on bringing a winning, uh, we'll say, culture inside that locker room. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, nobody's, nobody has that in this team. Right? Like, who, who can Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer look up to? That's one. Okay? And, and if you really think about it, Andre Plot's going to play – a role on the you know on the wing where he's a supporting cast, right? He yeah. can he's productive with whatever center, whatever line mates you're gonna do. So he can play with Heisher, he can play with Hughes, right? And quite frankly, you know, if I'm if, if I'm plotting, I'm gonna say like, hey, like Hughes, uh, Jack, like Nico, you guys haven't done anything. What are you yeah. guys whining about? Let's play, right? And what are they gonna say? Okay, well, you know, you just were playing with <laughs> Stamkos and yeah. Point and Edmund, like, right? So so there's always and not to say that, you know, he sure and Hughes that got that personality by no mm-hmm. means, but you need somebody that can push your leaders inside that locker room that have credibility. And so if you don't have credibility inside that locker room for he sure and Hughes, and we'll say, Brad, I'm just going to use those three, you know, corner pieces. Um, then, then who are they learning from? Who's holding them accountable? Right? The coaches can't do that. I remember being in the locker rooms and you guys are standing up and we're calling each other out. And, and you, you, you had to have the confidence and the credentials to be able to stand up in that locker room and have effective change. Um, and so that's what Andre Pilat brings. Was it expensive? Absolutely. Right? But at the end of the day, we can't go another two, three years trying to hopefully we're going to manufacture a winning culture or have guys try to uh, perceive what that is if you don't bring anybody in. Right. So that's why, you know, Sergey Brillin is another great hire on the coaching staff, right? This guy's won three cups, you know, he's going to be in the locker room, right. In and out. He's going to be eyes in the sky as the, the quote has been going around social media. And every time I, every time I run into Sarge, like I'm listening. Right, I'm 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 a student yeah. of the game around guys like that. So, um, so you definitely need that in the locker room. And it, you know, I think 
probably why it seems like a rich contract other than, you know, the regression and the analytics, if you get to that point, but it's just because I think the devil's fans and everybody else had their hearts on some other players. And mm. so when those other players didn't happen, you were just going to have that all oh, like we've got this deal and we got this player. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know what? And, and I don't think that's the right approach in this situation because I would have still tried to get Andre Palat in the locker room, if he, even if he had one of those other players that you were able to sign. Um, because at the end of the day, like, what have those other players done? <laughs> if you really think about it, like, we need to get some winning culture in that locker room, right? Guys that have done it and come in with swagger, right? Their actions speak louder than their words. Um, and they got the hardware, Nick. Like, that, that speaks, yeah. you know, so... Um, you know, you can tell I'm very passionate about that. Like for me, it's just, uh, when you have a young team and you're losing, um, you, that's a slippery slope to be in. Um, and, and so the youngest team pretty much every year last year, um, and, uh, that's a tough situation to be in. And, and so just the fact that you're able to get somebody to come in, um, who wants to be here right for five years everyone say well that's a great contract why wouldn't you want to go there well you know what like when you when you've won and yes you want a great contract but you don't want five years of misery yeah right you want to come here and you want to be a part of this team taking the next step and that you have a legacy that you came here and you helped you know the the heishers and the hughes and the bradders elevate their game so one thing that I'm trying to put my finger on is what the Devils are going to do with the right side of the defense. You now have Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. You have Damon Steverson, which is a phenomenal one, too, by the way. And then you trade Ty Smith, for who I was kind of excited to see if he could bounce back, but that's it is what it is. Um, for John Marino, or the Pittsburgh Penguins, who's a phenomenal shutdown guy. Are these guys just – is Lindy Ruff literally just going to make it a daily competition between these three to fight for minutes? Like, how, Or is he going to move somebody to the left side? How, like, how do you deal with this situation? Well, you know, Lou Lamorello always said your play will, will dictate it, right? Um, and, and, and that usually takes care of itself. And, you know, I think really the biggest challenge that Lindy Ruff has is on the power play right now. Um, and, and we saw, you know, when Dougie kind of, you know, was, was in his slump, um, he still wants his minutes. He still wants those number one power play minutes, but, and then, so when you put Severson in his position, that is going to affect Dougie, like Dougie, he's the guy and that's how it's going to be in his mind. And so, um, and, and that's more of the dynamics of what I always say, what you want to try to think about is what's going through the players' minds. And everyone has, will build a certain uh, value proposition about themselves, right? I said, hey, I, I'm the number one penalty killer. I better be on the ice when we've got a lead with two minutes left in the game. You know, I knew I wasn't getting on the power play. If we needed a goal, I knew I wasn't getting a goal. That I wasn't going to be on when we were pulling the goal. Yeah. But if, if my play wasn't there, then all of a sudden, you know, Pete DeBoer, he's not putting me on the penalty kill or Larry Robbins. Or, you know, so that's where you start to have issues. And so on that right side, if you take that philosophy and that concept there and you really look at it, that was really the start of the demise for both 
Will Butcher and Ty Smith is when they started losing what they perceived their value, and that being the power play. So Will Butcher had a great rookie season. Ty Smith comes in, right, right, and then now Dougie Hamilton comes in, takes Ty Smith, and so I don't I don't care what player you are. As soon as you lose what your perceived value is on that team, you're going to struggle because mm-hmm. then you're you're trying to figure out well how else can I add value? Well, you know what? This is the National Hockey League, and you can't figure that out in the National Hockey League, right? So as soon as you know your role has changed on you and you can't accept it or adjust or adapt, right? It's very tough to have success. And so, you know, then everyone would say with Ty Smith, well, he's not good defensively and he can't defend his, you know, then we got, we can't play him. And, you know, he's getting, you know, eaten up, you know, uh, against certain lines. Well, it wasn't as much of an issue when he was on the power play putting up points. Yeah. Right. So, so, and I think, I think everyone, you know, all the fans would, would, would find that pretty intuitive and then would understand that anyways. So coming into training camp, the dynamics on the right side is really going to filter around Severson, in my opinion, where what is this is Severson. Does he come in with the mindset that I'm, I, there's a position here for me long-term or is he coming in with the mindset that this is a one and done season because, mm-hmm. you know, they've made some moves. Um, and so based on Severson's mindset, how he's approaching the season, will start to shape the minutes on that right side. And that's probably the simplest way is how I would look at it versus trying to say, okay, well, you know, how is he mad? You know, who's getting this ice time and all that. Um, Severson comes in with a chip on his shoulder and he's dynamite. You're going to find the minutes. Um, And if you got to put him on the left side or whatever, um, because you're going to maybe for trade value, or maybe you're going to, maybe Severson comes in and says, Hey, I'll take a a team friendly contract because I want to stay here. Right, yeah. you just don't know all those dynamics. So, um, so that that's how I would place it. But John Marino is what a what a trade. Uh, that's a yeah. uh, I give Tom Fitzgerald an A plus on that. He you know used his you know his cap space as a weapon there. Um, you know, and and yes, you know, yes, he had to give away Ty Smith. Um, but whether or not if you like Ty Smith or not, there was really no room for him in the position that he needed to play to be successful. Yeah. And I agree. And that's kind of, you know, it's sad, but it is what it is. You kind of have to just get to a situation where it's almost untenable. You know, it was untenable. Like you couldn't keep making the mistakes that Ty Smith was making and keep playing in the National Hockey League. You know, it just is what it is. Um, You know, we're we're running a little bit low on time, so I do want to get to a couple of these other. Um, I, I, I had actually had a question from Nate. Um, in Facebook, who wants to know about Sim- Simone Nemitz? Uh, do you see him? You know, second overall pick. He. I was surprised they brought him over to the North America. Do you think he has a shot to make the NHL? Do you think he's somebody, or is he strictly AHL property? And they just brought him over to get used to the North American game. Uh, well, I definitely. I love that pick, and I think that Nemitz should spend the majority of the season in the American Hockey League. Um, not to go back to Ty Smith, but I think that was probably the biggest thing that hurt Ty Smith is he never spent any time in the minor in the minors, right? Like he, and and really understanding how to compete and be aggressive. So I think it's, you know, unless he comes and he's dynamite in training camp, um, but you know, if you look at Mo Sider, like he spent a year, yeah, you know, you know in Detroit's farm system. So um, I spent three years. Some of us it takes longer than others, um, 
And, and I just think it's invaluable for a defenseman because you are afforded to make mistakes in the AHL. You just have a longer leash. Um, and you, and I think when you're coming over here, especially for him to see that it's a different game, these guys are going to come at him. They're going to, you know, try to run him through the boards. Uh, they're going to try to say, Hey, like, we don't care who you are. We don't care where you're drafted. Um, and then he's going to have healthy competition within the devil's organization. So I just think that, uh, that'd be a great development step for him. Um, but Hey, if he comes and he's ready and he has a phenomenal camp, uh, I don't think you're just sending him down to send him down, um, but um, but but I think it would be good for him if he's just good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> at, at absolutely. Um, so you brought up Miles Wood earlier. Yep. He came in. He came back for what, like three games? I think it was. He looked sharp. He looked fast. He looked like he was going 100 miles an hour. He looked like Miles Wood, and then immediately down again. Done. I, I don't remember if he got another surgery or if he just rested for the rest of the season, but major hip issues. We've seen it really hurt other players. Miles Wood is very, very reliant on speed and toughness and those aspects of the game. And he, he was a, a piece that was desperately needed last year. And I think when you look at how the roster is constructed outside of Nathan Bastion, you don't really have a bumper on this team still, you know? So I think what is still needed on this team, what are your thoughts? Do you think that he can come back a hundred percent and be the guy we used to be? Do you think he should be that guy? Like, what are your thoughts on miles? Wood? well, I think for miles Wood himself, uh, mentally, he needed to come back last season, right? I just, I was putting myself in his shoes. I wouldn't want to go a whole year. I've done that before. Um, or I missed the whole season and you have so much doubt going into next training camp. Like, can you even play? And, and so, so I think that was good for him to see that, Hey, when he came back, he still had his speed as funny as that will sound like you have doubts. Um, and whether was it premature, did it set him back? That will all be, you know, to be seen this season. And, you know, and you just look at his contract, right? That's why he got a one year versus multiple years where the devil's looking to do three, four years. Like he, unfortunately, because of that injury, um, is really going to have to show that he can play and he's durable next year. Um, and he's got to be able to play the Miles Wood way, right? If he's yeah. not going to be pushing pace and um, crashing and banging, then, then unfortunately, then, then, he, he's just not going to be effective, and then the Devils are not going to know what to do with him. So, um, you know, that's where, you know, the, the question mark's going to be. And, and hopefully, you know, he had whole, the whole summer to really rehab and come back and strong and um, and that he can go 82 games. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, I, just, I just think he's so crucial to the, to oh, the makeup of this team. In the locker room, too. He just, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's vocal. Uh, the guys see him as a leader in that locker room. Uh, you know, he's a bit goofy at times, right? Happy-go-lucky. So uh, just that personality, too, helps in that locker room. So I, I've gotten a lot of people, and there's a couple of people in the mentions who asked you who you think is going to be a surprise, whether it's at a training camp or somebody who's going to surprise us this season. Uh, I'll give you an example. A lot of people, when we've asked this in the past, brought up Tice Thompson. That's a name people are really liking, especially after development camp. Um, somebody I'm curious to see, we haven't seen much of him, is Nolan Foote. 
We were very excited about him before last season. Had kind of a rough season in the NHL, but if he was in the gym grinding and he's, you know, he's getting his game on, he has a shot that you can't stop. So that's somebody I'm curious about. Is there somebody who you think has a chance to come in, surprise everyone, and have that season? A la like what Jesper Bratt did in his rookie season, or uh, you know, uh, you know, it, there's a long laundry list. Miles Wood did it mm-hmm. in his rookie season. There's a lot of people who've come in and just out of nowhere. Um, you, you know, taking an opportunity and grabbed it by the neck. You know, there's a there's an opportunity for a left-handed defenseman as well. Where are you looking for somebody to really be a big surprise? Well, it's uh, there's a few. Like I I I really want to see Fabian Zetterlin come in and have an impact. Like I just I like. Uh, the energy that he brings, maybe he's not the most skilled. I know a lot of guys who look at point production, but in terms of bringing in a guy that I think we all wish Andre uh, Andreas Janssen would have been, um, you know, this is a guy that if he can come in, he's a bull. If he could possibly get 15, 20 goals, right, on the wing and be aggressive. And, like, I just – you just saw how much fun he had last year. Um like I said, I would love to see that because that would just be, uh, you know, it would be like winning, you know, the lottery for the Devils if he can come in and add that on the third line. Now, is that realistic? We'll see. You know, you got Jesper Bolquist that could come in, right? We started to see some phenomenal flashes uh, with him, you know, if he plays center, um, you know, not to get into it, but, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with, uh, you know, McLeod, you know, what's going on there with the Hockey Canada. So, um, so the Devils may need, uh, you know, somebody to, to fill that position. And so, um, so I'm really looking for those two guys now. Kevin Ball, can, can he come in next year and be consistent? Um, I know they brought in Brandon Smith to kind of play that aggressive physical role. But to your point, you, you need a seventh defenseman. Um, and so will, will he get that look? Maybe it's a, a Hutuk, right? Maybe he'll come in and say, hey, I love the way he had tenacity, grit, and physicality. And so maybe he could be a seven, six defenseman, or maybe he can push to get some ice time. So those are kind of the guys when I look at the roster here um, that I think are, have a reasonable chance to get a decent look. Now you'll be saying, well, geez, you didn't say Holtz, Um, (laughs) right? Um, And, and, and I just think that for Holtz, I don't see that there's much room in the top six right mm. now where he can come in and 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 just have the time to figure out his game. Now, he could come to training camp. We haven't really seen him. Like, you know, he can have phenomenal exhibition games. Um, but he a lot of pressure on him to score goals. So I think for him to come in and be that – you know, that impact player next year is, is asking a lot of him. Not saying that it can happen, um, but, you know, one more year, uh, you know, in the AHL, and some people might say, geez, oh, my gosh, like another year in the American Hockey League. Um, I think it's okay. I, I, I really do. I, I, you know, you got, you know, Tatar that's probably coming off the, the books. Uh, you know, I don't think, you know, we'll see. Maybe they resign him or not. But uh, mm-hmm. there's going to be room the following year for for a lot of these players to at least be regulars i think so last question for you bryce i can't believe we've gone this far into the podcast before we talked about the goalies 
<laughs> we had because we're so I mean, sick and tired of talking about them last year. I know, I know. <laughs> but Billy Joel could have sang a song about all the goalies that played for the Devils last year. Um, this year, they go and get Vidak Vanacek. It was a weird off season with goalies. The Toronto Maple Leafs are relying on Matt Murray. Um, the the Vegas Golden Knights are going all in on Logan Thompson. I think the defending Stanley Cup champs traded for Alexander Georgiev <laughs> after he didn't look that good with the Rangers. So I don't know what's going on with the goaltending position. I thought they were going to try to get a big name this offseason. They got Vanacek, who's an interesting name, and they're going back with, with Blackwood. And then whenever Bernier comes back, he'll be a part of it too. Oh, is this enough? Is that, That's the simple question. Is this enough to fix the problems that derailed the season last year? I, I, I think we're starting off on a much better uh, footing. Literally, I you know the last two years, we tried to bring in a veteran goaltender uh, to kind of push Mackenzie Blackwood be that mentor, and we're just seeing the age is is not kind to goaltenders, um, and so I like that you bring in a young guy um, that hasn't established himself. Right, he wants to be a number one. He sees an opportunity here. Fitzy gave him three years. Right. So that's healthy competition. Right. So now you got Mackenzie Blackwood, who's on a one year deal. Yes, he's got arbitration rights next year. But is is Mackenzie going to take that step and say, hey, this is my net. And we are looking at our our one A, one B. Or is that not going to happen? And you're looking for a, a different goalie next year. Right. Because because I look at it from the perspective of. When Bernie goes off the contract, like you, you, you usually spend, it depends on who you talk to, $8 million combined roughly on your goalies. So you've, you've got $3 million in Vanacek. So somebody could potentially get five, right? Is that Mackenzie Blackwood or is that somebody else? I, you know, I think, yeah. well, I know the Devils organization want, you know, are hoping it's Mackenzie Blackwood. He comes and he shows that he can be that number one. Um, but, you know, over the last, you know, year, year and a half, like we just seen a lot of, you know, you know, issues just from the mental side of the game with Mackenzie Blackwood and then some of the injuries. So the fact that we potentially do not have a goaltending distraction uh, at the start of the season um, is, is a great step, Nick. And so, and they're both young, um, seem like they're both healthy coming into camp. Uh, so that's exciting. And if anything, um, the players um, know that, you know, if, if things go or, you know, don't go the way that, you know, they did for McKenzie last year, like if we kind of see some of those similar patterns that, you know, you're not immediately going to, you know, to the AHL and trying to find somebody six, seven mm-hmm. goaltender and, and, and no dis, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Nico Dawes who did a phenomenal job. And, and if there's any bright spot, like that propelled him. Right, like yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so you gotta try to always look for the silver linings. That was Bryce Salvador, an hour of pure and wow. utter. We didn't, and we didn't talk any analytics. We're gonna have to bring you back on soon to talk analytics. First of all, I need your analytics guy. You got to get me on the inside. But second, uh, we got to talk more analytics. And, you know, we'll 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 talk about whether it's before the season or early in the season. We'll get you back on just to talk about outlooks and things like that. I kind of just want to react to a lot of what happened this offseason because it was absolutely bonkers and it's still bonkers. But Bryce Salvador, 
TNT honors, MSG network analyst, third man in the booth, man between the benches, El Capitan, whatever you want to call him, <laughs> call him Bryce. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, like always, thanks for bringing me out of hibernation, giving me a rep here and start talking devils again. And uh, it's it's my training camp right now. So I appreciate it. And uh, definitely I'll come on maybe uh, maybe when training camp's going on and if you give me another exp- expedition game. Yeah, absolutely. Let's We'll talk soon, Bryce. <laughs> thanks so much. All right, cheers. So we're, we're not done, folks. Usually it's a Bryce night. It's Bryce only, and we love those nights. But uh, it's still the state of the fan address tonight. So we got to bring a major friend of the pockets, back-to-back friends. We got friends in all places. Um, we got Bryce tonight. He, uh, I can't even react to so many things because our guest is here. Our second guest is here. Will Scouch from Scouching. If you don't know his YouTube page, if you don't know all the things he's doing, he's one of the most phenomenal prospect analysts. His YouTube page is so much fun. I, I watched his Devil's um his Devils video on the draft recap twice now. I'm going to watch it again because I I need to know more. I Will Scouch, he's with us. How you doing tonight, Will? I I'm doing really really well. It's uh it's the quiet the one quiet month of the year. Uh, so I've been <laughs> yes. I've been recharging the batteries and uh, getting ready. I think the first uh, first junior league starting a week starting a week today. So. Nice. Right back at it pretty soon, but enjoying the last couple of weeks before uh, before things go all crazy again. And leave it to me to make you keep working. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, um, this, this, it doesn't feel like work. Whatever it says, you find something you love and you won't work a day in your life or whatever. It's all it's all good. You love that. Um, so let's jump right into the draft. So we had Bryce Salvador, who's a major Devils analyst. We were talking about Simone Nemitz, second overall pick. Um, the first question I want to ask you, because I said – undoubtedly if Shane Wright is there at second overall, you take Shane Wright. I don't care about need. I don't care about fit. I don't care about any of those things. Shane Wright <laughs> is the best player available. No matter what, if it's you're off Sofkowski versus Shane Wright, you take the one that's available and Shane Wright was available. They didn't. They took Simone Nimitz. Some people were really into the pick. I would have rather had Shane Wright personally. That's just kind of how I kind of fell into it because it's Shane Wright. Where do you fall? Do you think they made the right pick? Um, I don't think it was a bad pick. Like I don't, I, I, I let's get that out of the way. I, when I look at Shane Wright, I saw a player that was underperforming what people thought he was capable of pretty much wire to wire all year. And that was disappointing. And I still, I still think that in in terms of where we're at in five years, that Shane Wright could very easily be the best, or at least one of the best players to come out of this draft. Um, but when I look at Simone Nemich, I mean, it's kind of apples to oranges in the first place. I look at Nemich and I see a player who I think pushes pace a little bit better than Shane Wright does. I think in terms of activating offensively for a defenseman, I think he. There was really no other defenseman realistically this high that you could draft. Would I have picked Simon Nemich this high? Probably not, personally. But the the it it, it it's fine. I think I think that for the Devils, they do kind of lack. They have Luke Hughes from last year, but they do kind of lack some supplementary offensive punch on the back end. You know, Luke Hughes is obviously 
in all in all likelihood going to be a great defenseman. And Simone Nemec kind of gives you more of the same kind of vibe from 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 the defense position, which I think is perfectly acceptable. You know, would I have would I have taken Shane Wright second overall? Probably. I think there's a lot of headroom to work with his game, and 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 you know, yes, there were issues, but. I mean, yeah, if, if Simone Nemec came up at number two, I would say you better be really, really sure. But it's not impossible. I, this was a draft where I think that in five or ten years we look back on it, and there's a bunch of players that you could look back on and say, oh, they were the best player available, or this guy was the best defenseman available. And I think Simone Nemec very reasonably could be one of the, at least in terms of offensive play, one of the best defensemen to come out of this draft. Um, it's just a matter of rounding out his game. But the offensive tools are definitely there. So. Drafting is one part of it. Developing is the other. The New Jersey Devils made, and and what I think is a very under, we haven't talked about it a lot, that they decided to take him out of Europe, which is not normal for a player that you're still developing. He's not, they don't expect him to make the NHL. At least I don't think. They have three right-handed defensemen that are very, very good. So it's not like there's a spot for him in the NHL but you're taking him out of Europe and you're putting him in North America seemingly to play with Utica. Do you think that's important to learn the North American game like that? Or do you think he would have been better suited playing another year in Europe? Well, the thing about him, I think is that you, as far as I understand it, they could loan him back to Slovakia. I, I would think that that in terms of his offensive game, there's not much for him to really, learn there anymore like i feel like especially in the back half of the year leading into the playoffs like i know you can look at the point production and go oh he scored more therefore he was better in the playoffs but even beyond that i felt that he was a lot more comfortable with his game and and in terms of driving the play up the ice and and being more confident and assertive and and really sort of taking control of possession of the puck and really making plays happen with it from the back end i think he started doing that a lot more consistently and a lot more sort of in a dangerous way at that level. And I just feel like sending him back to the Slovakian pro league just is sending him back just to let him score points. And I don't think that that's really the best option. I would say, you know, like I I think Utica it's, they have a lot of also a lot of younger defensemen, guys like uh, Okotiuk and Kevin Ball. And uh, there's others that I'm sure I'm forgetting um, that are already down there. And, I think that he will give them a bit of a a different side of the defensive side of the game than those than those players all do. So I think it's a good environment for him. It's not like he's surrounded by 35-year-olds who are going to play more than him. I would imagine that they're going to play him a ton of minutes. Um, you know, and and the last I mean the last guy I can remember and I might be wrong, but the last sort of high draft pick that was sent to the AHL right away and played defense was like a T- Timothy Liljegren. And it took a yeah. few years, but but he really sort of he came in kind of like a Simone Nemec, where he had a lot of offensive tools, and you know there was a few question marks about how well rounded his game was. But over the years, he's kind of really settled into being a good defenseman. And I think with Nemec, there are going to be things that I think need to be patched up. But as he is right now, especially on the offensive side, it's a good test for him. Take a step up, play against some North American pros. You know, some guys who may have been in the NHL before or are just barely falling short of NHL quality and really sort of putting him to the test there. Because, you know, there are things in the Slovakian league that I think he gets away with, but 
again, he still gets away with it for a reason. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him, but I feel like the AHL is a reasonable place to put him right now. I certainly wouldn't explore the Canadian Hockey League for him. I feel like he would, especially because his rights are held by Cape Breton, like they would just give him the puck and tell him to do whatever he wants with it. And I don't think that that's really a good idea. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a reasonable option to send him to the American league and just see how it goes. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll send a warning to New Jersey fans. Like people in Toronto were saying that last season was like a do or die year for Timothy Lodgren. And he had been in the AHL for like three or four years and you kind of get what, what people call prospect fatigue. Right. So mm-hmm. if Nemich is in the AHL for like two seasons, it doesn't mean he's like a bust, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's about sort of rounding out his game. And, and I don't think he'll be two years away maybe, but at least a year. And I feel like it'll be a nice bridge year to see what he's capable of against North American players on that ice and in a more physical game and, and, and where he has to be a little more defensively responsible. So we'll see what happens. And I- I, I kind of want to go off script a little bit on that just because you kind of mentioned Luke Hughes. And I know a lot of people are just imagining a Luke Hughes-Nemich uh, pair for 20 years. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's right. just like, you know, they're they're both 19, so they're both going to be together forever. Yeah. And they're going to start next year in the third pairing. In two years, they'll be the first pairing. Hallelujah, everything's great. Now, the problem I see with that is I don't see two players that similar playing together that often. You know, that's you, 100% you, correct. So are you with me here? Are you not seeing 100%. them as a pair in the future? You don't you, you, name an NHL defense pair with two players that play exactly the same way. Like you're not, you don't see it very often. I, I, you wouldn't want to play. I, if I'm a coach, I don't want to play these two guys together. Like they, it, it, the, their strengths don't, their strengths don't complement each other and their weaknesses make each other worse. Like they both have very similar weaknesses, but they're str- like both of those players are tremendous puck transporters. Like Simone Nemich is a great puck transporter. He's a great playmaker off the blue line, stepping up, you know, juking off guys, stepping up into the offensive zone, finding and creating passing lanes, all those things. And Luke Hughes does that really well, maybe with a little bit more flash, a little bit more skill than Nemich, but they both do very similar things in slightly different ways. And so if you like, who is going to be the one that transports the puck? And yes, you can say, well, it's good to have options, but you know, a D to D pass wheeling up to, to go on a rush, you can, you can just send it to the guy you want to transport the puck with. And the other one, you know, you could put a Kevin ball on a, on a pair with one of them, maybe one day Mm -hmm. and Kevin ball can just mop up defensively, get the puck (laughs) to the other guy, or the other guy tries to fake a rush, sends it to Kevin ball who might, not be much of a target because he's not the transition threat and he has an easier passing lane or something like tactically speaking, you have a lot more options by spreading the wealth in terms of that offensive transition game. I think you know, would it, would it be fun to try? Absolutely. Like, I think it would be fun to try, but I feel like, especially the weaker sides of their games, like it can, that both of these guys in my viewings of them got exposed for similar reasons. And compounding those things probably doesn't seem like a very good idea, but it would be fun. I'm not going to lie. It's going to, it would be really, really fun. Um, but I think that you get a lot, like if you get a Shakir Mukamadulin to really refine his defensive game, you know, the skating ability that he's got could complement guys like this pretty well in a top four. 
if his if his you know there's there's issues with Shakir Mukhamadoulin's game, but assuming he comes along over the next couple of years, becomes sort of a dependable second pair guy to play with Nemec or Hughes, whoever it might be, and you have two pairs that you can play for a bunch of minutes and a third pair that sort of fills in the space between those two pairs, then I think you've done really well. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think those two guys uh, they're too they're a little bit too similar for my taste in order for creating them in as a pair. You were really high on Samus Casey. Um, I was. You had a, I, I know I, I know in your video you were talking about maybe you had him a little too high, but I think he was yep. in your top 15 in, in your yep. final rankings. Devils get him in the second round, middle second round. What, what did you see in this kid that had you so high on him from the get-go? Upside. Like, with him, like, I look at my rankings and, and the order in which I put players, and I go, what if it works out? Right. Like I go, I go, yeah, there's a chance it doesn't, but if it does, and I think with Seamus Casey, there are not very many other defensemen in this draft who try the things he tries and does it the way he does it. I, he, he's one of the more creative defenders available. You know, I think his skating got better as the year went on. It's going to need to get better. Him, like there was a few guys on the NTDP this year who are a little undersized and they just don't have that skating ability that really can overcome that deficiency. But I mean, look, if I recall correctly, and I'm out of practice because it's the off season, but I believe he's going to Michigan and you, you park him in Michigan for like three years. I, you know, look, people said the same things. I'm not comparing these two players, but people said the same things about Adam Fox when he was 17. He was too small, not the best skater. You know, yeah, he scores a lot of points. Yeah, his two-way results are great, but he's just not, he's too small and he doesn't skate well enough to overcome it. And I go, well, but Seamus Casey's ability to use skill and, and his hockey mind in terms of puck possession, you know, his ability to pinch up offensively and make plays, you want to nurture a player like that. And you, you know, you give him yeah. a skating coach. If you can bring up his skating ability, you know, in a few different areas, then I think you're going to have a really, really impressive defender, you know, to the point where if things go really, really well for him, you know, he could, if you have Luke Hughes on one pair and Simone Nemec on another pair, you're almost doing yourself a disservice by having Seamus Casey on a third pair. Like you could, but, but with a late second round pick, you could flip Seamus Casey for something that you do need at the time, right? Like if it does go really well over the next couple of years and those two guys are mopping up ice time too much and Casey's sort of on the outs, I don't know. I'm just, I'm skipping way ahead here, but I really like him. I I think there's a ton to like with Seamus Casey. There are question marks for sure. Um, But the way I always approach my lists are what if it works out? And at what point do I become interested in what this player could be relative to the rest of the group? And in this year's draft, it opened up really, really fast for me. Um, And there were some guys where I saw some things to me that were special that elevated them up my list way beyond the guys who might be a little more well-rounded or a little further along in other areas, but don't really have that, that high end, those high, high, high end moments where you go, if you can pull stuff like this off at the college level over the next few years, and you take your time and figure out your balance and figure out where you're going to end up and then do it again in the AHL or the NHL, there could really be something impressive here. So I, I was really happy to see New Jersey take a pick on him later on. Uh, and and yeah, I, I have a lot of high hopes for him. And yeah, I might've had him ranked a little high, 
but at least I'm aware of that. And I, but I had reason for it. And I think there's a lot, a, a lot to like with Seamus Casey's potential, especially if you give him a few years to, to come along. So, well, I got, I got time for one more question. I'm going to sneak one in here from off the board. Um, just out of curiosity, just because it's come up a lot today. It was in my mentions like four different times. I don't know why <laughs> today, especially, but Alexander Holtz has come up mm-hmm. multiple times. A lot of people are worried about him. I don't, he had a good season in the NHL. What you expect, he might have fallen off at the end, but I mean, I, I know a lot of European players, they're just getting used to the length of the season. But he, he didn't, you know, after training with Jesper Bratt this offseason, he kind of looked kind of bad at development camp. So basically, what I'm asking you is is development camp something you could take anything out of? <laughs> Does it matter? And are you at all worried about Alexander Holtz? It is not. I don't think there's anything you could take from development camp. Uh, you know, look, he, he, a guy who was a point per game with almost 30 goals in the AHL last year, mm-hmm. like, what's he going to do at a development camp? Like, arguably, he shouldn't have even been there. I, yeah, you know, look, I, I saw a bit of Alex Holtz last year. I, I had, I had my concerns with Alexander Holtz at draft time. Like, he was not super far down my board, but I think he was a little bit further down than where he was picked and where people other people had him ranked because when i looked at him you know him and and Joachim Kamel are really good examples of guys who shoot the puck really 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 well but around that premier trait there's work to be done mm-hmm. i think holtz is going to need to be a guy who really needs the right people around him to enable his success in the NHL. And I, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, he's only played what uh, nine NHL games. And yeah. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head who he plays with uh, or who he was playing with in those games, but uh, you know, he's it, going it was to never need to... the same. It was a different, it was a different pair. Right. Time. Okay. And that's, that's tough to get settled on, right? Like that's really tough. Yeah. So look, I think the, again, it'd be very wary of prospect fatigue. Cause that is a thing, right? Like Holtz was drafted two years ago and he's 20 and just had his first full season in North American pro hockey. The devils themselves there, there wasn't really a role for him. It was just, you know, there was no need to rush him. And yeah. You know, look, I, th- I think that I watch Alex Holtz and go, look, if you put him on your power play as a trigger man, he's going to score for you at some point. His shot is that good. But then at five on five, you really want your, especially kids you draft in the top 10 to be real good contributors. And I think that it's going to be a bit of time before he really is a very good five on five contributor all around. But as a finisher, sure, there's talent there. He's a shooting threat from everywhere, but he's going to need guys around him to sort of enable the transition game and the defensive side of the game to really get him in a comfortable position where he can score. Um, I, I just feel like there's limitations in his game that need to be worked around. But I think you can go to his point per game season in the in the AHL last year and go, that's promising. That's a thing. And then, you know, and I would take that far greater than a development camp performance where he's probably there going like, I'm here for a summer skate. Like I'm here. I was in the AHL last year. Like some of these kids were playing like junior A last year. Like what am I supposed to do? Right. So it, it probably was a bit of a mismatch and, you know, he's out there just to probably get the experience and, and talk to coaches and stuff. Like this is why, this is why I'm always, you know, a little wary of development camp season when people are posting clips on, on Twitter and put people talking about it on the internet and like all this stuff. It's like, look, these guys, it's a, it's a development camp, right? Like it's a retreat. It's a corporate retreat, (laughs) right? Like that's basically what this is. So everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt, but 
he, you know, I, I think he's coming along just fine. I, but there always in my mind has been more of a longer, longer trajectory to sort of hit that NHL potential he has. Will Scouch, founder of Scouching, the Scouching YouTube page, at Scouching on Twitter. I just shared the New Jersey Devils video that you did, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago. Um, so for anybody who wants it, at Pitchfork Puck, go on Twitter. It's there. Most of you follow me already. Go to the Twitter account. I shared it there. We'll share it on the Facebook and the YouTube page as well, just so everybody can kind of get it easier. But Will Scouch, tell me, what do you have anything coming up? Do you have any preseason stuff coming up that people can watch? Uh, right now, there's not a whole lot coming. There might be some stuff uh, coming down the pipe that I can't, you know, quite get too deep into right Ooh. now because it's pretty preliminary. Well, the preliminary, but uh, there, you know, there, there, there is some stuff. But uh, in the immediate future, uh, there's still going to be the prospect re- or the uh, NHL draft recaps coming out. I think there's another week of them. Uh, if you're if you like other NHL teams, not just yeah. the Devils, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's there's there right right as of right now, there's nothing immediately coming out. It's just a matter of getting back into the tracking work and and watching a lot of hockey going into the into the winter and sort of familiarizing myself with 2023. That's the big project is uh, getting the table set for next year. Well, well, if I talk to you during the season, that th- that means things went very badly again. <laughs> so I <laughs> right. hope I talk to you next off season. But we're definitely <laughs> going to get you on again soon. Maybe we'll talk prospects. If I have to talk about the draft in the middle of the season again, I'm just going to drive Whoa. a go kart into the into the edge. I don't care. <laughs> I'm over Whoa. it. But I love having you on. You're one of my favorite guests. Thank you so much for Anytime. coming on. And I definitely am going to have you I- on again soon. I hope I never see you again until next off season. <laughs> then, in that case, I, I hope I never Please. see your face and you never have to talk to me. Uh, but yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you around. Thanks so much, Will Scouch, founder <laughs> of Scouching. Yeah, go to the go to our Twitter page. You got to see that that YouTube video. Uh, but thanks again. Oh man, we did it, Sam. We made it through without you having to sound like a robot. Um, you know, but do I sound like a robot? Do yeah, I still sound well, like you don't a robot? sound as bad, but you still sound bad. Okay. So I mean, you can still talk. We're at the end. We already got their money. We got the the money has come in. They've paid their admission. They can't get a refund. Do whatever you want. We can do whatever we want, Sam. I made it through. We did it. Sell you did a great show. job. You did a great job. I've just been having all these tech issues recently. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't participate. I mean, I got Bryce Salvador on my screen, and I can't say a word because I sound like a robot. I'm sorry. I know you. Yeah. You always love to take part in the Bryce ones. We always have fun doing the doing the you and me Bryce Bryce yeah. stream. And Will Scouch is a good friend of the podcast. And you know, absolutely, we, we had friends today. We had lots of friends. I mean, this was fun. This was a ton of fun. I'm so glad. I mean, last week I had to sit here, you know, if you want to talk about terrible, last week I sat here on my computer broke down, just staring at you. And half the time I was on the screen, just staring, yeah. doing nothing. And then I'm just like making up questions with our guest. <laughs> or actually, Dan Rice. You gotta, I mean, Dan Rice yeah, is Dan a pro, Rice. so, you know, he was, yeah. he was great. But, um, you know, I do want to make a shout out real quick. This past month, I just paid my payments to my writer, Sam. I'm sorry. You missed the bonus by 800 views. But you'll still get paid by the fan side to people. But I just paid out bonuses. 
to seven different writers. Seven different writers got bonuses this month. So if you want to join the Pucks and Pitchforks, I'm telling you about the bonus. If you hit 10,000 views, you get my cut of your money. Well, I don't get a cut of your money. You get my cut of the views. So you get the fan-sided pay. And then if you get 10,000 views, I'll give you what I made off your articles. Boom. That's how it works at PucksandPitchworks.com. You get double pay if you hit 10,000. And then I give you 1,000. Or I'm sorry. I give you $1 for every 1,000 views after that. So we, I sent out a Venmo payment for $54 today. Vinny Parisi gets paid every freaking month. He's he's a rock star. He, he gets wow. the bonus. Like in his and sleep. I missed it by 800 views? Yeah, sorry, man. So you close. might as well just not tell me. You know what? How, <laughs> well, how you about can we see do it. This? How, how, how about we do this? How about you just buy, buy me some crab fries at Chickies and Pete's? Yo, when I, I go got down you. to South Jersey. You. When you come down, right. we, game one, I got yeah. you. I'll buy you. I'll buy you dinner. I, I'll, I'll buy. Right. You're buying all these people dinner. I'll buy you dinner. For yeah. How about that? You're buying yeah. all the reporter friends dinner, so you know I, I'm yeah. not buying you catfish though. I'll buy you some crab fries. All right, crab fries. Uh no, I I got you. You know, I I only tell you because I know I'm gonna get you back one way or the other. It's fine. It's <laughs> all right. I want my it's shirt. I want my dang shirt. Tell I'm gonna find Shorts guy. I am in his state now. I'm gonna find him and steal my shirt. Let's close the podcast. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. Every. I mean, I got so much content from this. I want to write more about the Nemich Luke Hughes pairing and them never ever playing together unless it's a power play situation. Ever. I'm gonna write more. I'm gonna write about that. I'm gonna jump off. Jump on Will Scouch. Bryce Salvador gave us. How many freaking things can I talk about there? I can talk about Miles Wood. I can talk about the goaltender situation. I can talk about you know, the the impact of the right side of the defense. I mean, gone and on and on. Like, Bryce Salvador gave us so many topics. So, you know, love it. Such a great podcast. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. We got I got a couple of the viewer questions in there. You know, it's always hard with Bryce because we got so much to talk about when he comes on. But try to get your guys' questions in there. Make sure you keep sending those questions in the Facebook and the YouTube comments. Sam is always looking at them. Love you guys. Thanks so much for everything. Apply at PucksPitchforks.com. Go read PucksPitchforks.com. That Eric Hollis story is up there. That's a really good story. Do you know that? Do you know, Sam, before we leave, do you know that Eric Hollis, who his number one teammates were last year, the number one line he was on? No. Taylor Hall and David Pasternak. Were his line mates more times wow. than anyone else on that team. So he's a guy wow. who's a little versatile. He doesn't score a lot, but he helps others score. I think he's going to do a lot for this team. I think he's an underrated acquisition. I know that Mark Recchi went out and physically said that Pavel Zaka is better than, than Eric Hall. Guess what? I think he's wrong. I think that Eric Hall is going to have a better overall season than Pavel Zaka. And I don't think Pavel Zaka is going to have a nice season. Do I think Eric Hall is going to score 29 goals? No. Do I think that he's going to get 40 points? I do. Wow. Well, on that note, go to PucksandPitchforks.com. Till next time, let's go Devils.
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.